to the book of Jeremiah this morning. Jeremiah chapter 31. We're pausing our series through the Holy Bible today to focus on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and what it means for us. Last week we had 12 people become covenant partners together of Hope Church, and that is so exciting for who we are, where we're at, and where we're going. And this is the first step in a journey that we are taking together. Today we're going to be taking communion together for the first time, which is a really special time for us as a church. The last time I observed communion was at the garden tomb just outside of the old city and the walls of Jerusalem. At the place where they believe our Lord raised from the dead. And I cannot even begin to describe how special of a time that was as we sang together much like we did this morning. And someone opened the word to us and we prayed, confessed our sins and received the cup and the bread as a symbol of what Christ has done for us and remembering him and praying for his soon return. And today will be the first time I receive it together with you, uh, the family of Hope Church that God has sent us to serve and to love and to walk side by side as we reach this city. And this morning I want to walk through what communion or what the Lord's Supper Means, And I believe that what we are going to study today is going to help all of us get a better grasp of this holy ordinance for the church. And I call it an ordinance on purpose because as a church, we as Hope Church do not have sacraments. A sacrament is something that you observe in order to be saved. Now, in the past, I have called this a sacrament just out of, um, I guess, habit and hearing other people say this word. This week, I did a lot of study on what a sacrament is and what an ordinance is. And according to the definition, a sacrament is something you observe in order to be saved. An ordinance is something you observe because you are saved. There's such a difference in these two things. We should all see this ordinance of communion or the Lord's Supper in a new light, or at least in a clearer light today, simply because we've been studying through the first 14 books of the Old Testament together. And what we're going to be talking about and what we're observing today in receiving the symbols of the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ finds its roots in the Old Testament. You truly can't understand what communion or the Lord's Supper is if we don't understand the Old Covenant. So I want us to realize this morning, right at the beginning, that the stories that we've been studying in the Old Testament, the stories of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and King David, the same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is our God this morning. 
He is the God we worship. He is the God we pray to. He is the God we praise and proclaim that he is great and that he is worthy of all of our praise. And the same God who spoke to his people 2,700 years ago is the same God that is speaking to us this morning through his word. We know from Genesis that God created man in his own image. Man rebelled against God and fell into sin and fell under a curse. God promised to send a deliverer in Genesis chapter 3, a Messiah, to rescue his people. And the Old Testament tells the story of the people that God chose to send this Savior through. In order to be God's people, they had to enter into a relationship with God. Sin separates, sin divides, sin broke our relationship with God. We became God's enemies. We were under God's wrath. So in order to be the people of God, they had to enter into a relationship with God. And they could only do this through a covenant. A covenant that was made with them by God. God set the terms of his covenant. He always has and he always will. They could not accept or they could accept or reject God's covenant, but they could not be forgiven and be accepted by God apart from his covenant. The Bible tells us the story of redemption as we study through the books and look at overviews of the Old Testament books. We see this story of redemption unfolding page by page, chapter by chapter and book by book. God made a covenant with Adam in the garden. We see that God gave Adam terms of this relationship and told him that he could not eat of the fruit of the tree and the day that he did, death would come upon the human race. But as we know, Adam and Eve chose to disobey God, rebel against God. They committed cosmic treason and they broke this covenant with a holy God. God then promises to send a deliverer. And the next time we see a covenant is a covenant that God makes with Noah after God had rescued his family through the flood and delivered the human race through Noah's family. God made a covenant and a promise with Noah and his descendants. Then we see in Genesis chapter 12 and moving on through the rest of the book of Genesis that God made a covenant with Abraham. And God promised to bless this childless descendant of idol worshipers. Abraham, we believe that when God found him and called out to him, he was living near Babylon. And the Bible tells us that his family were idol worshipers. And most likely he was a part of that. Yet God reaches down to this childless descendant of idol worshipers and he promised that nations would come from his offspring he had no offspring yet God promised an offspring and promised that nations would come through his offspring and that all nations of the world would be blessed through the descendants of Abraham then we see that God made a covenant with Moses and the Israelites at Mount Sinai when he gave them the law 
Through obedience to God's laws, the people could be blessed. And through the sacrificial system, their sins could be atoned for. And they could stay in a right standing with God through the blood of the sacrifice, through the blood of the Lamb. Much in the same way that they were set free from Egypt and protected from the death angel by the sacrificial lamb. As the blood protected them and covered them. We see the same thing in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned. And God said that death would come upon them. But we realize that God did not kill them in that moment. But he did kill something. He took a lamb or some animal, sacrificed it, and he covered them with the skins of the animal. That's the first shadow that we see of the sacrificial system and ultimately God's sacrificial lamb, Jesus Christ, who came to bear the sins of the world. And by the time we get to the book of Jeremiah, which we looked at some last week in our study of First and Second Chronicles, when we get to Jeremiah, we realize that God's people have rejected his law and that they were exiled from the promised land in Jerusalem for 70 years as God had promised. Israel had failed to live according to the covenant that God had made with them. They had failed in every way possible. Israel was not able to keep the old covenant. Just to give you a snapshot of what Israel would have looked like, and actually what the world today, apart from Christ, looks like. Psalms chapter 14 says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. And if that verse sounds familiar to you, it's, it's for a very good reason. Psalm chapter 53 also repeats the same theme. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, doing abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all fallen away. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. And Paul repeats the same phrase in the book of Romans, chapter 3, verse 10. He says, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. So God made a covenant with his people. But their sin and their disobedience caused God to punish them. But he does not forsake them. Over 100 times in the book of Jeremiah, God tells his prophet to communicate to the people that they need to repent. They need to turn from their sins and they need to trust God. They need to walk in obedience. And Jeremiah, God promises through Jeremiah future blessing and hope for his people and the world. And that's where I want us to pick up this morning in Jeremiah chapter 31. Starting in verse 31. This is the word of the Lord this morning. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. 
and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity. And I will remember their sin no more. I want us to notice this morning some things about this new covenant that God promises through Jeremiah in chapter 31 and then continuing on the next few chapters. The first thing I want you to see about this covenant is that God promised to make a new covenant. God promised to make this covenant. God initiated this covenant. This was God's idea. He was not satisfied to leave his people in the same state that they were. Helpless, hopeless, consistently going through this cycle that we saw in the book of Judges and the other books where they fall into sin. They call out for rescue. God rescues them. He delivers them. He blesses them. And then they fall into sin and God judges them over and over and over. God is not satisfied to leave his people in this broken relationship. Paul tells us the old covenant was given to show us our need of a savior. It was given to show us how broken we were. And it did a great job of that. The old covenant did exactly what God intended for it to do. It showed us that we could not fulfill the law on our own. We needed a savior. So God is the one who takes the initiative. His people are in basically slavery. They're in exile and they are servants. They are oppressed. They've lost everything they love. Their hearts are singing and longing for Zion to go back to Jerusalem, the land of blessing, the land of covenant. And they realize how much they messed up. And God comes to them through this prophet and promises, I'm going to make a new covenant with you. The next thing he tells them, which is absolutely transformational, earth shattering, mind blowing in every single way is he says, it will be written on your hearts. God promises that this new covenant was a covenant that he was going to write on their hearts. Meaning that this is something that is not going to be only an outward observance, but he is going to change their heart. He's going to give them a heart of flesh, a heart that desires to obey him, a heart that desires to honor him. God, the only hope we have of obeying God's word is if he changes our hearts. There's no way that we can outwardly observe and keep the law on our own. And what does God do to change our hearts? He gives us a new heart, but he comes and dwells in our hearts. And the Holy Spirit becomes a part of us. And we see that God promised to make a new covenant with his people. And he says it would be written on the hearts of his people. One author says, to run and work the law commands. Yet gives me neither feet 
nor hands. But better news the gospel brings, it bids me fly and gives me wings. This new covenant is going to come with this ability to keep the covenant, not in and of ourselves, but through one who keeps the covenant for us. And through our changed heart, through the indwelling Holy Spirit, we will be equipped to walk in this covenant and walk in blessing in a way that Israel was never capable of doing. And I want you to remember that he's talking to his people, Israel. He said that he was going to bless Israel and Judah, the tribes that had been divided. He, he prophesied that he's going to bring them back together at this future point in time. And he will make a new covenant with them. But we learn through the Apostle Paul that there is a mystery. And the mystery is the fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham. That through his people, the Jews, the Israelites, all the nations of the world would be blessed. God choosing to save the nations was not an afterthought. It wasn't a plan B. It was the plan from the beginning, but it had to come through Israel. But these promises are specifically to Israel for this new covenant. He goes on to say not only that God promised to make a covenant, he would write it on our hearts. He says he would forgive and forget our sins. He would forgive and forget our sins. He would forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. We see that this is greater than the old covenant where the sacrifices had to be made over and over and over and over again. He says he would forgive and forget our sins. And then he tells us that it will be an everlasting covenant. It would be an everlasting covenant. There's no need for another one. This covenant is the consummation of all the covenants of God. Each covenant had its place. It was important. And each one was leading up and building to the next one. But he says this new covenant is going to be the final covenant. It's an everlasting covenant. Jeremiah chapter 32 verse 37. Listen to the words of what God says as he continues this prophecy through Jeremiah. Behold, I will gather them from all countries to which I drove them in my anger and my wrath and in great indignation. And I will bring them back to this place and I will make them dwell in safety. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts. Again, he's changing our hearts. That they may not turn from me. Church, the new covenant does what the old covenant cannot do. It is a superior covenant. It's a greater covenant. And we see this in the book of the Hebrews. Chapter 10, verse 11. Where the author says, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. 
But when Christ had offered for all time a single, single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, Jesus has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness in us. For after saying, this is the new covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their heart and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sin and their lawless deeds no more. When there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. So let's recap. There was an old covenant, but God promised to make a new covenant. Then he promised it would be written on their hearts. Then he promises that he would forgive and forget our sins. Then he promises it would be an everlasting covenant. And just before Jesus Christ was crucified, he observed the Passover one final time with his disciples in the upper room. And I want you to listen to what he said. This is one of the most powerful things that ever came out of the mouth of Jesus Christ, proving he was the Messiah and proving he was divine. Luke 22, verse 14. And when the hour came, Jesus reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you that I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus is declaring the new covenant that was prophesied in Jeremiah and other places in the Old Testament. This eternal covenant this covenant that would finally, once and for all, forgive our sins, put an end to the sacrifices right on our hearts. A covenant that God had promised was his sacrifice that would be made on the cross when his body was broken and his blood was shed. And this is amazing news for Israel, for Judah, for the Jews. As all of the disciples were Jews and he was declaring to them. Yet when the disciples obey the command of Jesus, when he ascends back to heaven and they write down the words and the teachings of Jesus so that the church could obey the great commission to teach everyone all the things that he had commanded to the, the disciples. When they wrote the stories of Jesus, they let us know things like what? John said in John 3.16 that God so loved the world, the nations, all people, 
that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul tells us explicitly that this is the observation of the new covenant that is talked about in Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah's prophecy applies to all believers, Christians, Jews, Gentiles. The church of Jesus Christ. We are all included in the new covenant. And through Abraham's descendants, all nations of the earth are blessed in Jesus. Through Jesus, we're saved. We're forgiven. We are in a new and eternal covenant with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. We are loved. We are accepted. We are forgiven by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he made on the cross by the shedding of his blood for our sins. And the gospel, the good news is that all who turn from their sin and believe in Jesus are saved. We enter into this new covenant through his blood. And in this passage, we are given instructions for how to observe this ordinance that Christ gave to his church. And I want to read this from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 11, starting in verse 23. Paul is speaking to the church. He's speaking to us. He says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, listen to this, will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. He tells us some things in this passage in 1 Corinthians that we need to know and notice for our faith, for our lives, but especially for this morning before we receive these symbols of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. First of all, we are commanded to observe this together until he returns. This is not optional. He doesn't tell us how often to do this. Some churches observe this every single time they gather together, and I think that's a beautiful thing. Some churches observe this once a month which is what I'm typically in the tradition of doing. Some churches do it just a few times a year. But we're commanded to observe this as often as we observe this, to do it together in memory of our Lord Jesus Christ. We remember him in this way. 
it's, it's not just an empty ritual that we observe. This is a physical, tangible way of remembering our Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us. We also proclaim the gospel by observing this. This is a powerful gospel message to the world and to the church to remind us that the gospel is centered and focused on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross when he shed his blood and died for my sins and for your sins. This is a proclamation of the gospel. It is powerful. He also tells us that we must examine ourselves. We should confess our sin. We should repent and turn from our sin. Nobody walked through these doors this morning innocent or sinless. We all brought habits, shame, guilt, disappointments, lack of faith. Every single one of us walked into this building imperfect. Yet if you believe in Jesus Christ, you're covered by his blood and God sees you as perfect. And 1 John tells us that if we confess our sin, church, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you desire to be cleansed this morning from your sin? Positionally, we are innocent. When God looks at us, positionally, he sees the blood of Jesus Christ. We are innocent, perfect, because we are robed in his righteousness. Yet as we walk through our daily life, we sin, we disobey, we lie, we lust. We dishonor Christ with our words, with our actions. Yet he tells us through confession, through repentance, we are forgiven. Another sacrifice does not have to be made to atone for our sin. Once for all, Christ sacrificed and he sat down proclaiming it is finished. So all we need to do is confess, forsake our sins. We also see in this passage that this observance, this ordinance is only for believers. I've been in gatherings before where the pastor will tell people, if you are not a believer, do not take this. Do not receive it. Just let it pass and go down the aisle. I don't want to say that this morning. I want to make a call for anyone, and I would just assume that we're all believers in Jesus Christ this morning, that we've all been saved, but I don't ever want to just assume that. And I want to make a clear call from the gospel of Jesus Christ this morning that if you are not a believer, what better time to say yes to Jesus than this morning? And when these elements are presented, you can receive them for the very first time as a new believer. Knowing that you are born again, knowing that the blood of Jesus Christ, his broken body, his shed blood covered your sins, paid the price for your sins and brings you into an eternal covenant with God where you're not confident in your own self-righteousness, but you're confident in Christ alone, what he did, who he is, and the fact that through his offering, you're loved and accepted and in an eternal covenant a blessing with Jesus Christ. So we're going to pause this morning before we receive communion together. And I want to invite you to 
take this time to confess your sins, to repent of your sin, to ask the Holy Spirit to lead you and to guide you and to be a light, as Pastor Earl was talking about, to share the gospel, to love one another and to shine our light to this world. Church, we can't shine our light if we don't love one another. That's how they know who we are. That's how they see the reflection of Jesus through our love for one another. So ask God to give you a love for the men and women that are sitting in this room, a supernatural love where we forgive one another, where we show grace and extend grace to one another. And I believe with all my heart as God begins to build a community here, it will grow. It'll grow deeper and it will grow out. And it will grow up toward him and glorify him in a way that we haven't done. And in a greater way than we have done through what, what he's calling us to do to love one another. So as we pause and enter into a time of prayer, we're going to sing one more song. And you can remain seated. But we're going to pray and sing together. And this is a time for us to examine ourselves, confess our sins, and give thanks for what God has done for us. i mm-hmm. 
Let's pray together. Father, we gather together this morning before you. So aware of the fact that we are hopeless without Jesus. Apart from his sacrifice on the cross, there is no hope of salvation. Father, we thank you for loving us when we were still your enemies, while we were still sinners, while we were yet ungodly. Christ died for us. He bore all the wrath. He took all the shame, all of my guilt. He bore it in his body on the cross. He died my death so that I could live. So Father, we thank you for your eternal plan that included us sinners who simply believe by grace through faith in the all-sufficient work of Christ on the cross. Lord, we thank you. We confess our sins corporately this morning. Lord, I pray that individually our hearts would just agree with you that we are sinful people, that we would agree with your word, that yes, we do disobey. But God, we are reminded this morning that we are in a covenant that cannot be broken. Our sins are forgiven. They are forgotten. 
they are under the blood, cast as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered against us again. But Lord, we do confess, we repent, we turn from the things that dishonor you, the things that bring reproach on your name. Lord, I ask this morning that you would set people free from strongholds in their life. Lord, that you would reveal to them how empty and meaningless and worthless and destructive these idols can be in our lives and help us to forsake them and to cling to you. And God, I pray that this morning you would give us a humility, give us a brokenness over our sin. And through the new heart that you've given us and your Holy Spirit, God, help us to walk in newness of life. Lord Jesus, we praise your name. We acknowledge you as our Lord, our Savior. You are our Lord and our God. We worship you. And we thank you for leaving us this beautiful picture and this beautiful promise that just as you fulfilled all the promises of your first coming, and your sacrificial death and resurrection, so you will fulfill the promise to return for us and to set everything right in this world and to take us to be with you. Father, we long for that day. And we thank you. And we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, I want to invite all of you to stand and we'll just make our way forward. You can receive, go ahead and get the cup and the bread and take it back to your seat with you and we will receive this together.
what we hold in our hands is a symbol. It's a representation of what Christ did for us. If you look at the bread, it is pierced. You'll see stripes that remind us that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes, we are healed. When he had given thanks, Jesus broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. price that he paid he gave the absolute most precious thing he had he shed his blood so that we could be saved so that we could be forgiven I want you to remember Christ in the garden the night before his crucifixion and his execution this is not something he did lightly the Bible says that he was in agony and he sweat great drops of blood as he prayed to his father if there's any way allow this cup this cup of your wrath that is going to be poured out on me please allow this to pass he said nevertheless not my will but your will be done he submitted to the will of the father knowing that it would cost him everything he had and he shed his blood. He took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. chosen to put us together in his divine wisdom and his eternal plan he has brought us here to be family to love one another to serve together and I'm looking forward to what he has for us in the future